a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. We're continuing this morning our series in the book of Daniel. So if you have a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn please to Daniel chapter 3, that will be good. We'll, uh, we'll read it in just a few moments. But you'll uh, recall we've uh, spent some time in the first couple of chapters of Daniel. And we, we find Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, uh, and Abednego. And they're taken uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. They're taken from Jerusalem off to Babylon, where Nebuchadnezzar comes. And uh, he takes a sort of cream of the crop of the the potential, uh, the young men, particularly with great potential and learning, and takes them off to Babylon to really to indoctrinate them in Babylonian ways and to teach them things that he wants them to learn in order that they might then serve him in his kingdom and his empire. And so Daniel and his friends get taken off, and we've already had it in the first chapter of Daniel where they make a stand about what they're going to eat and drink. And then in Daniel 2, uh, we find Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. You may recall us looking at it together. And it's not just a dream uh, from lack of sleep or too much uh, cheese before he goes to bed, but it's a dream sent from God. And uh, God wants to arrest his attention and speak to him. And you'll recall how none of his wise men or advisors were able to either tell him the dream or interpret it to him, apart from Daniel, who prayed and God gave him the dream and the interpretation. And so that was uh, chapter 2. So we pick up now our journey through Daniel in chapter 3. So we'll read Daniel chapter 3 together now. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever! You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flutes, the lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you set up. 
furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for this book of Daniel that we're working our way through. Thank you for all that it has taught us so far. And we pray now that you would teach us afresh this morning. That God, your word would come alive to us. We would understand what we read. And Holy Spirit, you would apply it to our lives. We ask it please in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in Daniel chapter 2, we have Nebuchadnezzar dreaming of a statue. In Daniel chapter 3, we have Nebuchadnezzar erecting this image of gold, this statue in the plain of Jura outside Babylon. Now, this is a few years on now. Some commentators say it's maybe even as much as 20 years on, but it's certainly several years after Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And... Uh, 
since that has happened, since the dream of chapter 2, life has been going well for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They've, uh, they've all received promotion. You remember at the end of chapter 2, Daniel was promoted and uh, at his request, the king also um, appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego as administrators in the province of Babylon. So, so life had been going well for these guys. It had been a season of, of things going well for them. Yes, they'd been in Babylon. They'd been away from home. But the, their career as serving King Nebuchadnezzar was going well. They, they were doing okay with it. Maybe that's how it is for you. Maybe you'd say, well, yeah, I've got a, to a season of my life where things are comfortable. Some of you may be thinking, that's just not where I'm at at all. Things are very uncomfortable right now. And in a, in a congregation this size, there's always a mix, isn't there? Some of us, things are going well. Others of us, us, others of us there are challenges. But maybe for you, life has got to a place where it's going well. But Daniel 3 teaches us not to get too comfortable. If ever we think that we can now sit back and life is going well for us and things are working out, then that's good and we should receive God's blessing on our lives. But Daniel 3 teaches us not to get too comfortable because there's probably trouble ahead, probably just around the corner. And so for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, this trouble was about to, to kick off. King Nebuchadnezzar tries to bring some unity to his, his empire, to his kingdom. And so he, he erects this statue out in the province of Jura. Now think about it for a moment. It's quite a strange image. It's 90 foot high and 9 foot wide. I mean, it's, it's really tall and really thin. It's a very strange image that he, that he sets up here. But he does this and then he calls together the people to worship this statue that he's erected. Now for most people, they wouldn't have had a problem with this. Most people in the ancient Near East were what we would call polytheists. That means that they worshipped many gods. And so for Nebuchadnezzar to say, listen, I now want you to come and worship at this one, then that's not really a problem. It's just another one for the long list. They've probably got a long list of national and family gods already, idols that they might bow down to and worship. And all Nebuchadnezzar is doing is saying, well, here's another one. Let's all worship it together. And so for most people, that, that wouldn't have been a big ask. They probably would have been happy with it. And so he calls together his government employees to set the tone, to set the pace, to set the example so that they might bow down and worship at this statue, and then others might follow. Do you notice the music adding to the tension? I mean, it's really well written, this, isn't it, Daniel? You, know, you, can, you can see it time and time again. The, the tension rises here, the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all other kinds of music. And you've got the list of satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers and judges and magistrates and all the other provincial officials. As you read through the story, you can feel the tension rising time and time again. But for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, it is a problem. For them, they don't worship a whole bunch of gods and just another one isn't, is okay. For them, it's different. They serve the God of the Bible. They know because they're good Jews that they've been commanded not to worship any other god not to bow down at, at anything else they know god's law they know what god said to the people of of israel in exodus chapter 20 
when uh, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, they they know that, that God said to them, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below, or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. They knew that. And so now this was an issue for them. This was a problem. Now probably in Babylon there had been some things they'd gone along with. Some things they'd had to make a choice about and they felt that in good conscience they could go along with some of the things in Babylon, some of the lifestyle there. But now this was going too far. For them, for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, this was a line in the sand that Nebuchadnezzar had asked them to cross and they were going to say no. It was one step too far. And now they're about to see what was going to happen. It seems that uh, Daniel wasn't around at this point. I I guess for you and I, if we'd been in that situation, probably the first thing we would have done would be to to, to grab our mobile, to get hold of the phone and to quickly text some friends going, issue with Neb, please pray. Or something like that. Maybe there'd have been a quick email fired off. You know, Neb gone mad. Please pray. You know, and we would have got others involved in this situation, wouldn't we? We would have, we would have called on some friends. Would you help us? Would you pray for us right now? But they couldn't do that. Not even Daniel, it seems, was around at this point. And they were on their own. And so having decided not to bow down to this statue, there's probably a great crowd gathered before it. Everyone bowing down apart from Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, trying to be a little inconspicuous at the back. They were spotted, as you will be if you follow God. They were spotted by some astrologers, some other advisors to the king, and uh, they spotted that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were not bowing down. So they went to tell the king. And it sends Nebuchadnezzar into a rage. Jesus warns us that there will always be those who despise us as Christians. Always be those who despise us because we follow God. So we shouldn't be surprised about it. We shouldn't be surprised for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And we shouldn't be surprised at our lives either. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22, You'll be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so now there is trouble afoot. So point number one, we're going to talk about trials and tests. Trials and tests. You see, this is a test for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Right now, they're put on the spot. You know, they've already made a decision not to bow down to the statue, but now they're called before the king. Up until this point, it was just them standing at the back of the crowd, hoping nobody noticed and not bowing down when the music played. Now they're standing before Nebuchadnezzar, who it's fair to say has got a reputation for being, having a somewhat hot temper, rather like the hot furnace they're about to encounter. So Nebuchadnezzar gives them one last chance. If you'll bow down, good. If not, it's the blazing furnace. And he gives them one last chance. What will they do? How will they respond? What will they say to the king now? Well, they're very clear, aren't they? They're clear that worshipping anyone or anything else other than the Lord their God is a no. 
They're not going to give any ground on this. They're not giving any leeway. They know what God has said, and they want to be faithful to him. They're also clear that God could, if he so wished, rescue them from Nebuchadnezzar's hand. But if God chose not to do that, then they would still be faithful to him. And so Nebuchadnezzar now flies into a rage. And he gets the furnace heated up, seven times hotter than usual. You know, as hot as it can go. As hot as possible. It could not have got any hotter for them. And they get thrown in. So hot is the furnace, it kills the guards who have the job of throwing them in there. And what happens? Well, we've read it because we've seen the story, haven't we? God rescues them wonderfully. They're thrown in all bound up. And as soon as Nebuchadnezzar looks in, he sees not just Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but someone else as well. And they're unbound and walking around. I mean, it's a wonderful miracle. God amazingly rescues them from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. You see, this story is very relevant today. There are parts of the world where it's illegal to worship God. It really is. And it's, it's just as dangerous as it was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Open Doors says 100 million Christians around the globe are currently suffering persecution for their faith. Most often, persecution takes the form of imprisonment, abuse, and hostilities. In some cases, however, Christians are asked to face more than scorn, prison, or the loss of health. They're asked to face death. And that's now. But you might say, well, that's, that's true in some places of the world, and it is. But what about us in this country? What about us in the, in the UK? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? You never hear Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego complaining. You know, that you don't hear them complaining in this story. They're not saying, well, what's going on? You know, they could have said, what's happened? We're trying to be faithful to God and he's sent trouble our way. You know, we're trying to stay true to what we believe, true to God's commands, and look at what's happened. But there's none of that. There's no sense of complaining. There's no sense that somehow God has left the building and they think they're on their own. Yet often, you hear people complaining, don't you? When things go wrong in people's lives, sometimes you hear people say, oh, God doesn't love me anymore. It must be that God has somehow left me. I hear people say those sort of things. But friends, it's not what the book says. It's not what God has said to us. God won't leave us, will not forsake us. But there will be tests and trials. It's guaranteed. So for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this was a test and a trial. But friends, there'll be tests and trials for you and I as well. One commentator in his writing on Daniel says this. He says, the devil tempts us to destroy our faith, but God tests us to develop our faith. Because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. I'll read it again. The devil tempts us to destroy our faith, but God tests us to develop our faith. Because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And it's true. 
there will be tests. And you know what? Just like at school, they'll get harder. Do you remember tests and exams at school? You know, I had a first test maybe at junior school. It wasn't so bad. It was okay. You could cope with the numbers. You could add them up and take them away, and you, you passed that. And then you got to secondary school, and the test started to get a bit harder, and algebra was thrown in there, and there are equations and some things you really had to think about. But you just about got through that, and then there were some more tests that were thrown at you. And it seemed that every time you passed one, they just got harder. doesn't seem fair, does it? You work at this test, you think it's going to get easier, but it just got harder. But you know what? It's often like that in the Christian life. Because once we pass one test, God says, well done. Well done. But there'll be another test coming along later. Why? Because God wants us to grow in our understanding and appreciation of his love and his grace and grow in all that he has for us. And that happens in times of testing and times of trial. James says this in, in his letter. Um, you may well know the, the passage well. He, he says in the first chapter of his letter, verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, we shouldn't be surprised, friends, at tests and trials coming. The Bible promises them to us. But as well as that, Jesus promises that he will be with us. In life, generally speaking, there are seasons of peace and seasons of trouble. Seasons of testing and seasons of life going well. There's, there's a mix there. That's how life is for most of us. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. It couldn't be much clearer, could it really? In this world you'll have trouble. That's just how it is. That's how it will be. So don't be surprised by it. Too often Christians are surprised by seasons of testing or trials or trouble. So often we, I think we sell short the Christian message. We say things like, if you come to Jesus then you'll know peace and forgiveness. Your sins will be forgiven. God promises to be with you. He promises you eternal life. Now, now all those things are true. But we don't always say in the same breath, and Jesus also says, in this world you'll have trouble. But both of those things are equally true. So friends, we need to get ready for tests and trials. Let's prepare for it. Let's be ready. If you had a test at school, I hope, <laughs> you revised for it. You got yourself ready, didn't you? You studied for it. You wanted to pass it. You wanted to do well. You wanted to know what you needed to know. Well, friends, it's the same in the Christian life. Let's prepare for it. Let's get ready. Let's not be surprised when there are seasons of testing and seasons of trials because God tests us to develop and grow our faith. As that commentator said, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. So let's get ready for trials and tests. But our second point is this. We find in the, uh, in the chapter of Daniel, that we've read Daniel chapter 3, we find there's a question. 
Is it going to be statues, sex, or a saviour? See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were commanded by Nebuchadnezzar to worship a statue. So my question for you this morning is this. What are you worshipping? Or maybe who are you worshipping? You see, anything else that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. James, can I have my phone back? Just a second, please. Can you bring it up? Now, you probably wouldn't bow down to an idol. If there was some great statue erected in the city centre just outside the building here, you probably wouldn't, thank you, you probably wouldn't bow down to it. You probably wouldn't be, you know, going to worship at it. That's probably not, for most of us, the biggest area of temptation. Because you know it'd be wrong. You know it'd be against God's law. You say, idol statue, I'm not meant to bow down to it. You, you, you can be really clear about that. That's an easy one. But remember, anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. So how do you think about your car? Or maybe, how do you think about your dream car, if you have one of those? Or what about technology? Now, I, I realized recently I was saying to somebody, they said, what do you think of your phone? I said, I love my phone. It's the best phone I've ever had. And I've had a mobile for, for years. And it is the best phone I've ever had. But it got me thinking, would I say I love my phone? Isn't that just a crazy thing to say? Now, I'm very aware I don't put it in the same category in any way, shape, or form as worship, worshiping God. But listen, anything that takes the place of God in our lives is an idol. So for some people, that will be a statue. For some people, it might be something like sex. For others, it might be technology of one form or another. It might be alcohol. It might be money. You're just so consumed by that. It might be relation, a relationship that you know, has just, you know, totally, totally consumes you. Anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. And even gifts from God himself can become idols if we worship them rather than worship a German-American theologian of the mid-20th century says this, Paul Tillich. He says, A person's God is the thing or person that one is most concerned about, thinks the most about, or affects one's life the most. A person's God is the thing or person that one is most concerned about, thinks the most about, or affects one's life the most. So what's your God? What's your God? Is it a statue? Sex? Money? Technology? Your career? Maybe your dream home? You've probably seen programs on the telly like Grand Design. So Sarah and I sometimes sit and, and watch those sort of programs. And you find people building their uh, dream home. And it just becomes totally consuming, doesn't it? It, it becomes everything to them. And we've sometimes sat there thinking, is that it for them? Is it just about this home? Is that right? What's your God? Have you worshipped at the idol of leisure 
or health or career. Now, those things aren't bad unless they take the place which should be reserved for God alone. So Bill Bright of Campus Crusades, he says, who is on the throne of your life? Who is on the throne of your life? And friends, as Christians, we need to regularly ask ourselves that question. Who's on the throne of our life? Who are we worshipping? What are we worshipping? Who or what is on the throne of your life this morning? And if you're not a Christian this morning and you're visiting us, then you're very welcome to be here. Thank you so much for, for being with us this morning. But I wonder, what, what are you worshipping just now? What's on the throne of your life? What's at the very center of your being? That's the place that God wants to occupy. That's the place that should be reserved for him and him alone. So who's on the throne of your life this morning? Is it a statue? Is it sex? Something else? Or is it the Savior? Is it the Savior? And then number three, the question that we get to ask from reading this passage in Daniel is this. Who gets your loyalty? Who gets your loyalty? You see, you need to decide in advance who will have your ultimate loyalty. Is it, for example, your boss or is it God? That was a question that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego needed to, to answer. Now, for you tomorrow morning, if you're in work and you're, you go into the office in the morning, it's unlikely that you'll go in and find that your boss has built a statue in the corner of the foyer and uh, at nine o'clock will ring a bell and command all the employees to gather in the foyer and, and to bow down. Some of you are saying, you haven't seen my boss. <laughs> but for most of you, that's not going to happen. He's not going to you know, have a statue or an idol of himself or herself there in the foyer and say, when I ring this bell, you should all bow down at it. That's unlikely to happen even if you have the most demonstrative and crazy employer. But what about when you get a memo or an email arrive on your desk that says, thank you for those figures. Can you recalculate them for me for the end of the month figures? Or when, you're, when it's suggested that you invoice your customer just for those few extra hours of work that never really actually took place. Or when you've submitted some test results for a new product that aren't particularly favorable, and your boss says, would you like to submit them again? Or when you've got the kids' results back from their SATs, and it doesn't look great on the school, and your head says, would you like to resubmit those to me? You see, it's in those moments you have to decide who gets your loyalty. Who gets your ultimate loyalty? Is it God or is it somebody else? See, Daniel is a book about faith at work. That's what we call this series, isn't it? Faith at work. So who gets your loyalty? Who's really in charge? For Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, God is the one who gets their complete loyalty. And God does rescue them. God shows Nebuchadnezzar who's really in charge. So much so, not only are they kept alive in the blazing furnace, which is uh, miraculous in and of itself, but they come out unbound 
with not even the smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar gets shown very clearly who's really in charge. And as is his wont, it seems, through Daniel, he issues yet another decree. And this time, that anybody who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be um, cut into pieces and their houses turned into rubble. God blesses and honours Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for their faithfulness because they were clear that God was the one who got their loyalty. So who gets your loyalty? Who gets your loyalty? And then fourthly, just before we, we finish, this chapter in Daniel here talks about revelation or relationship. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember in chapter 2 of Daniel, he had had a revelation of God. He had understood something of God. When Daniel had come to him and said, Nebuchadnezzar, I can, not only, I can tell you the dream you had. I can interpret it for you. It was very clear. It wasn't that Daniel was somehow cleverer than the other advisors. It was because Almighty God had revealed these things to him. And so Nebuchadnezzar had had some revelation of God. But what he didn't have was a relationship with God. And what Daniel shows us here is that you need more than a revelation of God. You need a relationship with God. Amazing though it may seem, you can have a revelation from God and yet remain largely unchanged. These events, if you have them in your life, these uh, revelatory occurrences are very helpful encouragements but you can't build a life of faith upon them. You need a relationship with God. You need a changed heart. The Bible calls it repentance for the long haul. So do you have revelation or relationship? Have you just had a revelation of God or do you have a relationship with him? Friends, what this chapter in Daniel shows us is that revelations are great, but they're not enough on their own. You need a relationship with God personally. And Daniel chapter 3 shows us that those who have a relationship with God can stand firm. They can be bold. They can pass the test that comes their way. So let's wrap up as we finish for this morning. Maybe the band could, could come back, please. Daniel 3 shows us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... They undertook a test. And not only did they undertake it, but they passed it. And they passed it with flying colours. Not just not bowing down once, but even when Nebuchadnezzar personally challenged them, they still stood firm. And what I want us to understand this morning is this, that God wants you to pass the test. The Bible is very clear, there will be tests coming. There will be trials coming. But so often we can get into the mindset, we think, God's trying to trip me up. He wants me to fail here. He wants me to all, all go wrong. And it's, it's not the case. God wants you to pass the test that is coming your way. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to catch you out. He wants you to pass because as you pass, you grow as a Christian. As you pass the test, you grow in your faith. As you pass the test, you learn more about him. You receive fresh grace and understanding about him. 
and you grow as a Christian. That's what God wants for you. So friends, put God first in your life. Worship him only. Make sure he's number one. Invest in your relationship with him. Be prepared for some tests. Be prepared for some trials. And be prepared to pass. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. Father, I want to thank you for this chapter in Daniel. Thank you that, Neb- that uh, Nebuchadnezzar might have issued a challenge that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stood strong. And Father, I want to pray for each of us this morning that as trials and tests come, as they will, Father, I pray that we would stand strong. I pray, God, that you would remind us about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I pray when trials and tests come our way, that we would remember that you want us to pass those tests and grow in our relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray in those moments you would help us. I pray in those moments that we would remember that you are the one that we worship. You are the one that is at the very center of our lives. You are the one that we're called to worship only. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us, God. I pray that when trials and tests come, you would help us. We would know your grace in those moments. And, Father, I pray that there wouldn't be anything else in our lives that we would bow down to as an idol. Even good things, good gifts that you've given us, Father, help us to prevent them from becoming idols in our lives. Father, we pray that you would be the only person that we worship. And, God, I pray that we would make sure that you're the only one that gets our loyalty, the only one that has captured our hearts, the only one that gets our complete and true affections. God, that you might be the one that we worship. We might not just have a revelation of you, but a relationship with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.